The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, If I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me go get let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seahs of uh, fine flour and knead it and bake it some uh, bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that he had been had prepared and sat them these things before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening to the entrance to the tents, which she was behind. Abraham and Sarah were already old and advanced in years, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself, and she thought, After I am worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you and at the point at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, Yes, you did laugh. Now on to Genesis twenty one. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah. What he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight years old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. This is the word of the Lord. It was um, not my intention to create this mini-series out of this Genesis passage. The last three sermons have been connected in some way. And um, when when I knew we were going to do cynicism as an idol, I already thought about the story. And so it's just kind of providential that we would find ourselves right back in Genesis um, surrounding Abraham and the promise God had given him that he would be the father of many nations and that those many nations would be blessed by what God would do through him. Problem, of course, is that Abraham was that Abraham and his wife were somewhere around 90 uh, years old and uh, got this promise and were living under this promise for some 15 years now. Cynicism. Cynicism. Big one. A big one. For me, too. Um, probably, oh, see? Um, see, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen bad, you know. Um, thank you, God, for doing that. Um, uh, if we take some unknown, overworked, Undersexed, I mean oversexed, yeah. Underloved people, 
Throw in some shame, some joblessness, hidden evil motives brought to the surface, greed, loneliness, disloyalty, racism, sexism, poverty, mundane existence, aimlessness. Let them be lost in the urban jungle, spiritual, put in some spiritual and religious folly and failure. And when you put all those things together in the lives and words of comedians turned actors, you get some of the most successful sitcoms the last decade has known. And it tells us this, that life is so bad, so complicated, sometimes so empty, so long gone for any kind of meaning, so evil, so disappointing, that we have been driven crazy. That we've been driven to hopelessness, to a to a chronic disbelief in good, be something beyond right and wrong, beyond tears. Life has become laughable. Absurd, if you will, for us to think that we and this life has some deep or real meaning. Laughable to think that we can be trusted, that, that other people can be trusted, that, that God himself can ultimately be trusted to do good. The idol of cynicism is a, is a new way to live in a damaged and disappointing world. Uh, Now being happy and hopeful and trusting and and feeling good and and being nice and and asking people to trust you is corny and cheesy and whack. It's just played out. We have become a culture of player haters and the only safe place for haters is to mock life, to make it a comedy, a sitcom. I hope today that we will see and find a counter hope for our cynicism. For some of us, our Christian cynicism. That my hope is that God would flip the, the script, that he would change the channel, that he would free us from being hypnotized to death by this dark comedy and, and give us real joy and real hope. First, let's... Look at the story and uncover what is going on in our hearts by looking at Sarah's life. For Sarah's miracle of having a child at 90-something, here it comes again, right? These mystic strangers with the same message that she's heard all along and Abraham's given. You will give birth to a child. You and old Abraham going to have some children. And though they're in her face in this kind of incredulous style, you know, here they come under the tree and one of them is called the Lord. Sarah laughs within herself. And let me tell you this. She's not laughing at the promise itself, but she's laughing at her place in it. She says, I'm dried up. I'm old. I laugh. Because I don't believe in myself, in my place in this world, much less this grand promise that God made for so long. Beyond struggling uh, with, with whether it's true or not, it's been so long that truth has done anything. She's now struggling with meaning and purpose. Forget whether she is right or wrong or evil or not. Sarah is worse. She now is at a point where she's questioning her meaning, whether she's just an equation and a formula that has no sum yet. She's laughing at herself. She, and this promise, is an empty joke. And like Sarah, when, when she's confronted for laughing in unbelief, we too 
have decided to kind of live an outward life. We're not laughing. We just kind of pretend that life makes sense in front of everyone else. Yet deep down, we all know that all the stuff we have and do serve as some sort of anesthesia for life's emptiness. You know, just helping us survive. We, we go along with the job, climbing the corporate ladder, numbing and busying ourselves from the nothingness. And eventually it hits you. Wait a minute. Money's nothing. The volunteer work is nothing. That your job that you brag about is nothing. Because behind and beyond the lie of you and your life is a meaningless existence. You know, you think, oh no, I've just become another overworked quotient in an unsolved formula. You and I are cynics because we don't believe in ourselves. Now, th- th- this isn't a feel-good message on yourself now, but we, we don't believe we have ultimate meaning. Which means we don't believe in others. We don't believe in outside avenues and peoples and people and institution or, or authorities that claim truth. Look at Sarah. She, she doesn't believe in this promise stuff anymore. These, you know, I, I want to set this up for you. It's like these three. If you were to have a movie, you know, the wind would be blowing and it'd be this nice classical music, maybe kind of dark. And these guys have these, uh, hoods on and you can't see their faces. And it's kind of soothsaying sort of means to get truth. Ooh. Three strangers, some sort of mask hero. And I can imagine these strangers have this accent. Sarah, you will have a child. You know, this deep kind of Obi-Wan Kenobi. And he, he, he must be telling the truth. I tell people, if you want to have Jesus, Jesus got to have accent or else he, you know, he's unbelievable. Your sins are forgiven. Oh, he said it in English. Oh, he sounds like he's from England. Oh, he's telling the truth. You know, so you have to have this kind of accent. He, and, and the authority is in Sarah's mind. They're full of it. The cynic says, forget your words or your discovered in accent truth. Is this stuff real? Does it mean something? Does it have some lasting worth to it? There is a, so what? I don't care. Whether you got the hood covering your face and you got the accent and you three strangers, you just showed up and you know all about me. So what? Sarah is saying, uh, all right, I have a baby at 90-something. I'm beyond that sort of thinking. So now, like the last 75 years, I am a coming attraction of something good and incredible happening. But what does that really do to my ultimate worth and meaning? What if I do have a child? So what? What does it mean? All these years have been wasted. Cynicism says nothing Nothing in this world gives meaning, even if it is true or good or right or incredible. Understand Sarah is like a a watcher. All these years have been promising to have a child. She's old, y'all. The Bible says she's dried up. That means it ain't functioning no more like it should. It it, it ain't happening. And and, and it says, you know, Sarah, therefore, is like the watcher of the sitcom of Sarah and the Promise. You can hear the corny music. Sarah and the Promise. One day she'll have a baby. Yeah. But But she's looking at it saying... Yeah, right. I'm watching the story. She's not in the story of herself. She's not a believer. She is a watcher of true life. 
But her life and promises and hopes are not a reality. They've just become a dark comedy of her life. Institutions and leaders and preachers and advisors and counselors, they've sort of all become the writers and actors of our made-for-life stories. You know, they speak a lot of truth about us in this life and our issues and a potential happy ending, but cynicism makes us watch and laugh and enjoy the show with kind of a, yeah, right, I am not that important or good or worth anything, and neither are you ultimately. Even this morning, the Bible and the church and the music, all of that stuff are true and speak to true isms. But, but some of you think, not really, to believe it's foolish. It is safer to despise and laugh than believe. That's why people can even despise stuff like, you know, it's, it's really kind of sad the things we think, Psh, please. You watch these stories on TV, you know, I, sometimes I, I get a little teared up. I was telling somebody, I don't cry it a lot, but those little ESPN stories with the little kids who get to meet their favorite player, y'all, I don't know what it is. It's like Donovan McNabb, and I'm like, Boop. you know, I'm trying to hold it back. And I'm going to tell you, some of you look at this stuff and you laugh. You don't let it touch you. And you're laughing at me crying about it. You, you, you look at it and you think, so what? What does it mean? He gets to meet Donovan Mac. Great. You've lived another day to meet them. But guess what? The doctor says you're not going to make it long. So ha ha. What? What? We laugh at love. I'm in love. Or when people say they're in love, you know, that's nice. But what does that mean? It may be true you get those butterflies in your stomach. It may be true that you are, you know, finally sleeping together, whatever. It may be even true that you are getting married, but so what? What's that mean in the long run, in the world? So we think you found your needle. You found your high-class acceptable drug to loneliness, but it is not the ultimate end to loneliness. It is not the solution to unconditional love. You don't even love unconditionally. As a matter of fact, when you get married, you recognize how much unconditionally you ain't love the more you get to know that person. You can't even trust yourselves to say with any kind of validity, I'm in love. We laugh at that. Romantic comedy, because love's silly. We're all player-hating somewhere. We hate the player, and we hate the game. Cynicism makes the heart receptacles unable to accept and live in truth and then take hope in it because meaning and ultimate purpose purpose is gone it makes hearing the truth a laughable sitcom watching sort of a waste of time so ha ha let's just play life let's just play leave it to beaver let's just fabricate and, and kind of live in a sitcom of life parts everybody Come home, hey kids, yay, all right, ha, 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 wife, and you think, you know, you got to play the game. My wife is so happy to have been home with the kids all day and have cooked this meal, ha, 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 let's just do it. Cynicism is a, is a living laughter, a fakeness, a, 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 an understanding of that fakeness and laughing at it because really we're like, just kind of like Sarah. Are you laughing? No, we ain't laughing. 
Our family time is for real. We, we, we really all leave it to be. We got it going on. We the Brady Bunch. We, we all happy. But beyond laughing because real life seems to be about a false sense of meaning, she laughs because life really hurts. Let's talk about the obvious here. Sarah is a woman, now 90-something, been married a long time, y'all. They got married young back then, okay? She's been married a long time and has yet to deliver on her own sense of significance. She's barren. She's a disappointment to herself. She's a failure to her husband and to her family and to the promise. Understand this. It was bad news for you to give, if you were the father of a woman, to give him a woman who couldn't give you any children. This was a, this was a culture then. Hey, you can have my daughter. You have kids. Y'all will, you know, because back then that's how stuff was passed along. It wasn't like you put your house up for sale. No, your house went to your kid. Your land went to your kid. And so they're thinking, hey, this woman is going to help life happen for you. Ninety something and nothing. Sarah, you're a disappointment. What must it feel for her to get up in the mirror every day? We've heard the truth, all of us, in some way, and you failed to deliver yourself. Everyone in this room has failed to live up to the truth even they believe in. Our lives feel like one personal failure after another, and we get up and we look at the mirror and we're just disappointed. We've tried the books. We've tried working out. We got all the workout clothes, too. I used to do that. Oh, Kelly has to get me. I hate when she does it, too. Howard, I said, I need to get new workout gloves. Why? The ones you got ain't worn out. But somebody think if I bought the workout gloves, it'll give me the motivation to get up in the morning to work out. No. And then when I'm, like, cleaning up and these workout gloves with the dust on it fall out, it's just another disappointment. It's like a punch in the stomach, the stomach that's getting bigger. It's just a disappointment. And on what? You're back to your original way to lifestyle quicker than before. You know you're not as good as you let on. You know those ideas you're talking, you stole those from somebody else. You went and did it for the recognition. You go into urban restoration ministries and you're going to tell everybody you're going. I did it for the kids and the community or the Lord. See how we laugh? You can't help it. Deep within you are like Sarah. You're rocked with a barrenness of goodness, of sincerity, of authenticity in yourself. You can't deliver truly. You're a liar of yourself. You're an utter disappointment to yourself, you feel. And if it weren't bad enough, look at the world around us. I mean, what a bigger disappointment. Sarah has trusted in this promise for so many years, and now it is just as hurtful to even mention it. You're going to have a kid one day. Oh, the Lord promises. You know, Sarah ain't going to the tent revival. Tent revival came to her. You're going to have a child, sister. Yeah, right. We've all trusted and believed somewhere and in something. Like a silly, innocent child. We were taken. We bought some swamp land in Florida without seeing it. We sold everything to get those wolf tickets. We got to the wizard and it was Richard Pryor in a big machine. You were a fool for love. 
but you didn't get love. You just turned out to be the fool. Most of us can't trust any sense of authority or leadership. Calling folk, Pastor Brown, like like we can be trusted to care for you. You know, it's just going to be like, why are you calling him pastor? That man can't do nothing for you. He's just hoping offering plate goes around again. You know how we think? You know how people think? Why am I surprised? I, you know, I'm so surprised that you still come to church, some of you. Or well, churches keep growing, especially in places like Charlotte. I mean, PTL, y'all. Wasn't that long ago? Tent meetings, and you are healed, brother, and I am saved and sanctified. Our lines and characters now only in sitcoms. Y'all seen Martin? They are caricatures of, of the Loch Ness monster of truth, cause we have all believed somewhere, somehow, in some great spiritual truth, and some of us have even put our hand on the screen, put your hand on the screen, and received a blessing that we would be healed, and even if you were, Next week, you got sick again. We hate happy people in church. Sorry, Terrence, the overjoyed worship leader, you ain't that happy. (laughs) The too excited preacher, the greeter who had too many cups of coffee. Why? Because we know all that stuff. We've experienced all the good stuff, and it's disappointing. Some grew up with a family member, church hypocrite. You know, they, oh, they sister so-and-so and mother so-and-so on Sunday, or elder so-and-so, or some of your preacher's kids. Oh, boy, help me, Jesus. You know, and, and you're good, and you go to church, and you mom and dad, oh, hey, how you doing? The perfect family. Oh, man, this guy, he is just great. And they all oh, thank, some of them even caught the Holy Ghost. Thank you, Jesus, hallelujah, and all, oh, lost the wig and teeth and my, everything, flipping and, and trusting Jesus. And then they were a jerk on Sunday night. And all week Monday, cynicism says says Christians are just too happy. What are you happy about? We now believe that you aren't a Christian if you smile too much. Because you're not real. You're not authentic. Because that's what the face of spiritual failure and fakeness and disappointment looks like. It looks like the too happy TV evangelist who had a smile and got your money. Our world is just too evil to trust anything good about it. It's too hard to be for good to be worth getting happy or trustful about. Rudy, that story, it's a great story, but it's built upon a big lie in my mind. The little guy doesn't win. He just gets to feel like a winner because when the game is already done, he gets put in one play. Notre Dame ain't going to lose to give Rudy a chance. Even if touchdown Jesus can talk, y'all, I don't care if y'all put Rudy in. I'm sorry, man. We, we got to get the national championship this year. Rudy, you can go in when the score is 40 to zero. All right, brother? And then you can make a story or a movie about it. That's the way we feel. And you know where this is going. God is a real disappointment. Every single one of us who've ever believed in God in any way say this. He let me down. We thought his intentions are not good to me. 
He's got some sort of mean plan for me. He's playing games with my life in which I have to learn something deep and hard and harsh. Cynicism says that the way it really feels is this. God is just plain mean. He seems like he doesn't see me. He's just kind of rolling over me for his plan. And so some of you are always depressed and melancholy or distant. You don't want no relationships in your marriages and relationships and jobs and your stuff. You're just waiting for the other shoe to drop. You're just waiting for it to go bad, for what happened between your parents to happen to you, for you to finally get fat, for it's coming. You know it's going to happen. The church thing will get old to reveal some sort of conspiracy. You will get backstabbed and you will live and act in the inevitability of most things making you feel bad and foolish for trusting and being happy. You don't want to show up and want them news shows saying, you gave your money to that ministry? Sure did. All my savings is gone. Or be in that group saying, I trusted and I loved him and I'm alone. I shared all my business and half of Charlotte knows it now. That's why we have a hard time worshiping. Some of us hard time getting involved in the church. Stuff like quiet time and reading your Bible. Please, why? So I can hear about some mean plan God has for me? So I can listen to a silent God? I listen to a silent God again so that I can look up and, and things still go bad? All these people loving, you know, loving God, talk, crying to Jesus, all that stuff we have given up on. Some of us were even, and I've seen Unless it's not my, please believe me when I say this. I know it's hard, you cynical folk, but just believe me when I say this. I'm not trying to say y'all need to, I'm trying to get y'all here earlier, but there are people who just endure the worship part. They just want the word. I gotta, I gotta get something I can think about. But they don't want to worship. Oh no, we just enduring it. Look at these happy people up here. Oh please, let's get to something cognitive. Something real. Because all that foolishness, that, that ain't too real. Why? I can endure Christ Central Church, you know. I like it when y'all say, I like that preaching. Oh, that's great. It's one part of it. And so cynicism and just keeping it real becomes a resting place for hearts that can no longer trust and believe in much. Hear the good news. God makes us laugh again. God calls us to laugh again. But this time with real joy. Even after laughter and doubt of Sarah and herself, God continues, get this, God continues to believe in Sarah. That she means something to him. To the big plan. I mean, look, look, let's, let's go back to the scripture here. Look at Genesis 21, 21.1 here. Hear what it says. First one, now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. She became pregnant. He did for Sarah as he had promised. He did for a person. She was not just some plan in which she was simply a player, a a, a game piece for God, a a cog in the wheel, a, a test tube of what he wanted. Sarah, the person, mattered to God. He believed in her meaning and purpose in the plan even when she failed to. Here's something simple, but when I hear it, 
4 and to myself, I am, I am amazed. God believes in you. Let me say it again. God believes in you. God believes you have meaning. He works in this world as if you have meaning. Just because you've lost sight and belief and meaning and purpose for yourself, Scripture says God has not stopped taking notice and honors who you are. That like Sarah, even when your life and failures and circumstances may say that you have no meaning, that your life has no purpose from before you were even born, the Scripture says, before one bad or good thought ever entered your mind, the Bible said God believed in your place and in your person and your dignity and your usefulness of your life to him and others in this world. And while you are laughing at yourself, the joke, God is smiling, the Bible says, rejoicing over you, his meaningful and purposeful creation. I look at my boys and I laugh a lot, y'all. Them two kids, when they get in trouble, they make me laugh. Even when they're doing bad, the way they come up to me. And even when they're bad, they mean something to me. When they fail, I laugh inside because they mean something to me. Even when they've done terribly or, or failed or didn't listen to what I said or even did something wrong to themselves. And all I want to do is communicate to them when they are in the wrong or failing or feeling like nothing. Yes, Harrison. Yes, Clark. You mean something to me and you mean something in this world. We have a Father in Heaven that says to us, like children who believe their life is about playing games, you mean something real, not just play, play. Not, yes, behind the mask. Yes, you're living a lie. Yes, you're behind the, the fabrication. Yes, the reeking of the stench of your bad choices. God is breaking through in Scripture in the good news and saying, you mean something. God believes you exist for something. You and I are not an X and Y some sort of undefined factor in the cosmic formula. You have a name before God and an existence that can't be ignored. It isn't ignored by God himself. And get this, the Bible lets us know that, that God does his good through people and his institutions. And this kind of counters some other cynicism. What is the Bible about? Yes, about God and his purposes, but it's not just a story above the clouds. You know, it isn't like a, a clash of the titans where they just show the gods up in the room. You know, they all scheming and talking and working. No, what this, the Bible is about God's plan and purpose happening in the earth and creation through people. Abraham and Sarah and Isaac, they were people used for good, which means what? God, good does happen even in twisted people and vessels and by extension institutions and maybe we're looking too low but real good happens through people look at urban restoration ministries people getting fed people getting clothed aid to the poor good happens because some doctor cared more people living and are born than die this is good happening but why because a good god is at work in it. Look with me at verse 6 in chapter 21. My pages keep turning here. 
says here, this is Sarah. God has brought me laughter. And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. Laugh with me. The message of scripture, the Bible is in part this. Yes, there's much to cry about. It is true that death is inevitable. It is true that people have faulty motives. But laugh with me. Let's have joy together because amidst the mess, God has infused this world with things that should make us laugh because he's a good God. The world created by him, polluted by us, yes, still has things that break through and say, yes, there is real good and there's real nice things. You know, I think about music, man. I love some music no that beat is not perfect but man that beat really resonates something good in me no that fried chicken is not perfect but it really is good in my mouth no my wife and friends are not perfect but I need not be fooled to make foolishness out of what God has given us as real love, real friendships, out of real hugs and real kisses and, and real connection can we say it even real community I say all of this, though true that a good hamburger salad, kiss, a song by Whitney Houston about the greatest love of all, is definitely is good enough to lead us towards freedom, but it is not good enough to finally and fully offer hope and meaning. Here's the clincher for Sarah's joy. Go quickly through this. Chapter 21. Okay, let's see where we can start. All right. Verse 2, Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his own old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac, which means he laughs to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God has commanded. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children yet have borne him a son in old age? We should laugh with Sarah, not just because she gave birth to a cute little schnickums and he's cute and, and we think it's awesome that an old woman is fertile again. no, we are called to laugh with Sarah and have real joy and hope in this life because hope itself, reality itself, is a touchable thing. The connection between all the good stuff God thinks about us, all the good things God has given us, has been born into our very existence. That reality, that meaning itself like Isaac, comes as a person whose name is much like Isaac's. That is joyful laughter, whose name is hope, that whose name is meaning. Sarah gave birth to more than Isaac. For Isaac's birth is a foreshadowing of the birth of Jesus Christ. We can only have hope and joy and be free and giddy about life because Jesus has come to redeem our world. He is the hope that what we do means something to God. That that we mean something to God. Why? Because he has come to take away and soothe all the things that make us doubt our meaning. Doubt that good exists and that, that good will triumph over bad. That we are not a joke. There was something about the physical presence of Isaac that made Sarah know, that made her and the good and the bad and the struggles add up to something meaningful. That put disappointment in proper perspective. She was because of Isaac a part, a crucial part in redeeming people to an eternal kingdom that from Isaac would come people who out of would come God's salvation to the world. When Jesus came, he was God come in the flesh. 
God connected himself to the absurdity of human existence. He wrote himself into the script and just by his coming, he changed the sitcom into a drama. One in which while we laughed at ourselves, demeaning who we are because of our mistakes and sins, Jesus, God in the flesh, died and he shed his blood in real time, in real space. Let me say this. Jesus was laughed at. He came to be mocked as a fool. He was an okey-doke. He, he was a fool to the world for thinking that he meant more than he did. Laughed at for hanging out and showing love and favor for people who were marginal, who didn't mean much. For saying things like, your sins are forgiven to the worst people. For being good and loving to people. He was called a charlatan, a schemer, a magician with a hidden agenda. He was called corny and cheesy and whack. Jesus was the jester, the Martin, the George, the Kramer. He was you and me. The fool in the drama of life. So that you and I can be taken seriously. And know we are taken seriously by God. So that you and I, redeemed and called by the God of heaven, can no longer consider ourselves and others and their meaning a joke. He's calling us to look at the cross, to see him, to see his body. It is heaven's authentication of us. That we were sinners, jokes, our lives and existence laughable and sad and empty, untrustworthy to be a part of anything real and really good, doomed to pretend and lie and drug ourselves through life. And he came to be a friend and redeemer of sinners, taking the sins and condemnation and fear that makes us believe all is nothing down here. In your lack of ability to do good, or believe anything good. In the barren emptiness of our soul for believing anything good. For being a pessimist against life. For thinking God hates you and me. Even this. Is not too hard for God. Because Jesus like Isaac has broken in. He's been born into. He's become our redeemer. Jesus is life. Beyond the sitcom. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus is life beyond the sitcom. He gives us life beyond the failures of this life, life beyond this dark comedy in which we live. And he brings us hope and reality and peace and meaning and purpose, real love, real joy, real good, real peace. Let this be true to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God knew it would be cynics. He knew you and I would say, oh, words, thoughts, can't touch it, can't see it. But God's so good. Remember, is anything too hard for God? That's what he said to Sarah. And there's nothing too hard for God, even for those who think you need to touch it and taste it and feel it and sense it. And Lord, for that, has given us uh, his means of grace.
And one of those means of grace, one of those is, is, is sacraments, is the Lord's Supper. These are sensible signs. But more than just sensible signs, now here, here is where cynicism gets break, broken down. Not only can you taste it, and you can touch it, and you can feel it, and you can see it, but it really makes spiritual grace happen in your heart as you take it by faith. Jesus said, this is my body which was broken for you. This is my blood, which was shed for you. Take, eat, drink, do this in remembrance of me. This Lord's Supper, in some ways, like Isaac breaking in on the barrenness of our hearts. I urge you today, if you're not a person of promise like Sarah, what does that mean? It means this that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, that he's your Lord and Savior. And I urge you, come to this table. Be renewed, be reminded that you mean something, that life has purpose, that there's good, that there's redemption, that there's forgiveness of sins. Come, be reminded. But if you're a believer, today you believe in Jesus, but you're not getting along with somebody because, you know, you just don't believe it for them. You're kind of cynical towards them. The Bible says don't come to this table until you straighten that out. But secondly, if you aren't a believer, the Bible says don't come. This is not a comedy. This is not a sitcom. This is a true-to-life drama in which the Lord was crucified and he left this so that people's hearts can receive grace. Hear this from the Word of God, as Apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 11th chapter. He said this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And when he given thanks, he said, This is my body, which was broken for you. Take, eat, do this in remembrance of me. Scripture says in the same manner after supper, he took the cup and he said this, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do it. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us pray.